This morning, I'm a little bit curious. <clears throat> how are you preparing right now? How are you preparing for all sorts of things? Think about it for a minute, because I'm pretty sure that we all are preparing for something at this very moment. Many of us have been preparing for Christmas by Christmas shopping, by going for gifts, by wrapping those gifts, or baking cookies, sending out Christmas cards. Some of us have already begun planning and thinking about what we're going to have for lunch today, right? We've already started buying things and preparing them, maybe setting the oven to turn on at a certain time. This week, I helped my son prepare for a math test. We spent time in the evening studying the, the questions that, that he'd been given to review and understand how to go through them so that when the day came when he would take the test, he would know what to do and how to approach the questions on the test. In a couple months, we're going to be pulling out tax forms and receipts and things like that and gathering all of our information together to prepare our taxes for a new year. As pastors, we get the privilege of sitting with couples who are walking in a season of preparing for their marriage, not just their wedding day, but their marriage. And so we'll sit with couples and ask questions and encourage them to ask questions of one another and to think about questions of themselves as they prepare to become husband and wife. So the question that's on my heart this morning, I hope is on yours as well, is how are you preparing today? What are you preparing for This month, we're exploring the idea that God would use us to prepare the way for his son, Jesus, to return. As he uses certain people to prepare for Jesus' advent, his first advent, his birth in a manger, so I believe he wants to use you and I to prepare the way for Jesus' second advent, his return. Last week, Pastor Dave encouraged us to look at the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was born just a few months prior to Jesus, and and he was used to prepare the way for Jesus. He was the one who was standing in the wilderness proclaiming the way of the Lord. And yet, as Pastor Dave pointed out, God gave him a unique message, a message of repentance to prepare the way for the Lord, to invite people to turn from from their own ways and actually turn to God, to turn to, to the life that God had invited them into through Jesus Christ. And so I think as we consider that, consider that God has given us certain people to prepare the way for his return, I I can't help but think that we need to consider how God is calling us to help prepare the way for Jesus' return. This morning we're going to look at the life of of Mary and consider how God used her to prepare the way for Jesus' arrival. And, And beyond the obvious way, I think the most important way that, that, that Mary was used to prepare the way for Jesus was through her submission, her submission to God. Now, as a word alone, submission is actually probably a word that kind of gives you a little bit of agita, gives you some indigestion, makes you feel a little bit uneasy. Many of us have had bad experiences with submission. Our definition of submission based on our experience is typically our, our, like kind of subjugating or putting our lives underneath the, the power and the authority of someone else who abuses that of power, who, who is not uh, kind, generous, patient, and loving. But I think if, as we look closer at the, the type of submission that God is inviting us into, it's a, it's a little bit different. Uh, there was a, a pastor that once said, uh, just prior to when he passed away, that, that as he reflected on his life, what he realized really is that all of life is about trust. Think about that for a moment. All of life is about trust. We have the opportunity to trust God, to trust the world, to trust ourselves, but everything about this life can be summed up in that word trust. 
In Proverbs, actually, uh, this, this is not a, a verse that, I, that we're going to put up on the screen. Uh, I hadn't planned on it, but uh, I came across it this morning, and I thought, you know, this is a depiction of the type of submission, the type of relationship that God invites us into. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. That, that's the relationship we have with God, where, where he's not looking to, to just kind of shift in. Oh, we're going to move you here, now we're going to move you here. God is looking on our path. He's, he, he's aware of, of our lives. He ponders that this is not a, a power and authority that's abusive. It's a loving, gentle power and authority that God exercises in our lives in such a way to guide us and direct us. He's aware of our paths. He's aware of the life that he's called us into. And so when we slow our lives down, when we wait upon God, when we trust him and, and, and actually entrust our lives to him, place ourselves under his ruler, uh, rulership, his kingdom, his authority, then we're humbled and we're reminded in that moment that the gift of, that, of placing ourselves in submission to God is not so much the gift of, of getting all that we want. The gift is, as we read in our Advent devotional this week, the gift giver himself. That we get to sit in this relationship where we don't have this abusive power exercising a painful authority over us, but a loving, gift-giving, gracious Heavenly Father who loves us deeply. So my hope for all of us today is that, that as we look at the life of Mary, as we consider her life and, and how God used her in preparing the way for the Lord, that, that we too might submit to a, a loving authority and, and we'll see that, that it's an authority who will work in every moment and every circumstances of our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, that he'll work his power and his authority to accomplish his means or his, his plan but let me just hit the pause button on this for a moment because I think there's some potential pitfalls that I, as a man, could step into preaching on the life of a woman. And so I, I have to say that there was this, this passage did not come to me without a bit of warning from my wife. She said, Dan, you really need to think like a woman. And I took her advice, and I quickly realized I couldn't because I'm not a woman. So what I did, the next best thing, I, I sought out some some female scholars, some women who have been studying the word, who, who, might, who might take a look at God's word from the, 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 the viewpoint of a woman. I turned to wise women in ministry here at Trinity and asked them some questions. And you know what? I was very pleased with what I found. We have some very wise women uh, that, that we live and serve among. And so um, the biggest realization I had from that exercise was the fact that men, listen up. Pay attention. Don't check out here because what happens here in Mary's life is extremely relevant and just as relevant to men as it is to women. Pay close attention. And, and, and I'm hoping that as we do, you too will realize that, that this, this faithful act of submission is not one that God is calling just Mary or just some women into, but he calls all of his children into that relationship with him where we submit ourselves under his power, under his authority, trusting that he is the true gift giver, the one who deeply loves us. And so I want to encourage us as, as, we, as we turn to Luke chapter 1 in your Bibles, we're going to turn to our passage, and it's, it's that first chapter in Luke 
it's, uh, it's the story of, of Jesus' birth, but, but specifically that passage where um, Gabriel visits Mary before she's, she's with child. It's on page 855 of your pew Bible. And let me read the passage for us right here in the middle of chapter 1 of Luke, Luke's gospel. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be called, or he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word. That through Luke, you have recorded history in such a way that we might understand that moment that you began the process of coming to earth in the form of man. Thank you for using someone like Mary. Lord, I pray that as we walk through your word, you would give us the ability to, to, to think and feel and experience things like Mary did. That we too might understand the type of relationship you call us into, and how you might use that relationship to expand your kingdom, to carry your gospel message forth. So Lord, bless us in this time in your word. May your Holy Spirit guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first part of this chapter in Luke's gospel actually covers the birth narrative of John, right? John the Baptist, who we looked at last week. That moment where, uh, where the angel Gabriel visits John's father while he's serving in the temple. And, and then soon Mary is, is conceived, has conceived and, and has John growing. Now, it's interesting to note that as we look at these two narratives, if you were to back up and read through John's narrative and, and then read it through Jesus' birth narrative, there's a lot, of, a lot of places where we can draw a comparison to the two. And I think there's a reason for that. If you, if you look, the, pre, the, the, the pregnancies, they're both declared by the same angel, the angel Gabriel, a messenger of God who comes to tell the families that they're about to bear a child. Now, for, for Zechariah and for Elizabeth, they, they were beyond the age of, of childbearing. And so it's miraculous in a sense from there. For Mary, it's a different kind of miraculous because she's actually just entering into that season of her life where she could bear children. In both seasons, or in both situations, Gabriel decides to tell the families or he communicates that the families will name their child a certain name. John's name meaning Yahweh has been gracious. Jesus' name being Yahweh is salvation or the Lord saves. 
John's birth was proclaimed in Jerusalem, the, the, the center of the hustle and bustle of religious life. Jesus' birth was proclaimed in Nazareth, a small agricultural village in the lower region of the mountains of Galilee. Earlier in chapter 1 of Luke, in verses 14 and 15, we're told that John's birth would bring joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Or, or, Or differently, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. But it's a little bit different when it comes to Jesus' birth, because if we look at verse 32 in our passage, it tells us that Jesus is great. He needs no point of reference. It's not Jesus is great in the sight of the Lord. It's just that Jesus is great. He, he is the point of reference himself. And yet he was to be born in a small town of Bethlehem in a manger because there was no room for his family. See, I think what the comparisons of the birth narratives tell us is, is that God can use and does use any and all circumstances to accomplish his promises and his plan. Whether it's places of prominence or, or, or obscurity, whether it's places of power or, or weakness, God can and does use whatever circumstances to accomplish his plan. This is Gabriel's point in Luke chapter 1 when he says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. What, what may seem impossible in man's eyes is anything but impossible with God. God's promise will be fulfilled, and he's chosen to do so through Mary. Mary will conceive in her womb. She's going to bear a son. He'll be great. He'll be the son of the Most High. He'll he'll reign as king over the house of David, and over his kingdom there will be no end. There's a promise recorded for us in Isaiah Back in chapter 9 of Isaiah, this is a promise recorded for 750 years before Jesus' birth. He says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of, <clears throat> and of, his, of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God will fulfill his promise. Only God will fulfill his promise. Only he can do what he has promised to do. Only he can accomplish his plans that he has set forth for this world, to redeem this world to him, to build up a kingdom for himself. See, we can't, we can't convince God that, that we could do it better than he could, that we have a better plan than him, even though it's tempting to do so sometimes. It's tempting to look at our plans and say, I think I got this, God. I think I've, I like my idea. I think it's pretty good. But we can't do that. We, we can't bring about God's promises in our timing or in our own efforts. We can't try harder to speed up God's timeline or try harder to slow it down. God accomplishes his plans in his timing. So what's left for us as servant leaders? As servant leaders, we don't get worked up if God's plans and promises are not looking like what we had expected. We don't get worked up nervous if they're going to work out or not because they depend on us. If I'm not faithful enough, if I'm not smart enough, if, I'm not, if I don't do enough, God's plan won't move forward. Not true. That's actually not true. 
God will accomplish what he has set out to do. The beauty of all this then is that he invites us to be willing participants then in that plan. He may be the one that accomplishes his plan, but the beauty of it is, the grace of it all, is that he invites you and me to take part in that plan, to be used by him. Mary is highly favored, not because of anything that she's done, but simply because God says she's favored. This is, this is a great picture. This is a great depiction of that word grace, that, that word of undeserved favor. Mary has not exhibited anything in her own strength, her own ability, that, that for whatever reason would, would be reason for God to show her favor, that she's done this and so God will now show her favor. In fact, when she responds in faith, it's not until after Gabriel had already declared that she is favored twice. Twice he says she's favored. And it's not until after that that she responds in faith. See, God's working out his plan to redeem this world. And our role, our role is a privilege. We get to be used by God. To be willing participants through the faithful expression of a life that submits to him. So what I want us to focus on this morning in our passage is not so much the grandeur of Jesus' birth, although there is, that's worth our attention, that's worth paying attention to and observing and, and reflecting on and praying through. No, but what I want us to focus on this morning is the heart of a young Jewish girl who's found favor with God. I want us to pay closer attention to Mary because I think when we do, we see an excellent example of faith and trust. Submission at its finest. Look at verse 26 with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 1. Luke records this. He says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So our passage picks up in this sixth month. It's the sixth month of, of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John. So six months into the, uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel visits Mary and invites her into God's purposes and God's plan. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, it, it, was, it was customary for a young woman to take a husband at an age when she, when, when she could begin to bear children. And so Gabriel visits Mary, a virgin, as he says, who's betrothed to a man and declares some, some information that kind of catches her off guard. Now, Many scholars believe that because, that it, because it was customary for a young woman who, who enters into that season of childbearing to, to be married, to get married at that point, to be betrothed to a man and then a year later to be married, they believe that Mary is around the age of 12 or 13 when she became biologically able to bear children. Now in those days, as, they, as a couple approached marriage, they did so a little bit differently. We have a period of engagement, which can change, basically, on, on the situation of the couple. It's, it's not traditionally one-year engagement. It can be uh, multiple years. It can be a couple months. But, but back in those times, there was a, a customary time where a couple would enter into this betrothal, and this betrothal was not just some casual um, verbal contract of a relationship. It, it was a legal Situation, a situation where to undo what they've done, to undo the steps that they've stepped into to pursue this relationship, they would actually have to take legal proceedings to, to dissolve the relationship. 
So Mary and Joseph were legally set apart for each other, but, but they, were set, they were at a time where they, were, they, were not, they didn't consummate the marriage. They had not been with each other and known each other with physical intimacy yet. In other words, as Luke puts it multiple times in our passage, Mary was a virgin. Now, some, some scholars try to explain this away, but there's really no reasonable or logical way that you can explain this away. Luke says it specifically for a reason. Mary was a virgin. So it's important to have that in mind as we think about what happens next in our passage, as we think about what happens between Gabriel and Mary. Look at verse 28 with me. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. (laughs) Listen to this. Mary said, How will this be, since I am a virgin? See, Mary, Mary's response to the situation, like, I'm not sure I would have had the same reaction as Mary, partially because I'm a guy, I'm not a girl, but, but also because it seems like as you look at the situation, I expected a different response. But Mary seems to be more confused. And actually, who could blame her? An angel shows up in her presence, right? Which by itself is shocking. I would expect surprise, maybe fear. Zechariah was afraid. Well, why wouldn't Mary? So the angel shows up in her presence, tells her God is with her. Another big moment, actually, if you think about this, we'll be the first to be critical of ourselves and find reasons why God shouldn't be with us. And yet to have an angel of the Lord say, the Lord is with you, very big moment. That God favors her, that God looks on her with favor, and that God has chosen her to carry the Son of God in her womb to give birth to him and to be his mother. How does she respond? How will this be since I'm a virgin? It almost seems like at first glance that she's wrestling with the logic of all of this. Doesn't that seem like a funny response to, to you? I mean, doesn't it seem like it, it, just an, an odd way to respond to a situation? See, I don't think she's scared like Zechariah was or even overwhelmed by the moment. Instead, I think she seems to get hung up on things not happening the way that she expected them to happen. She gets hung up on, on things unfolding in a way that was not, not in her plan, not the way that she thought they were going to go. Think, think a moment about what Mary was most likely expecting. As a young Jewish woman, she was expecting to be married to this Jewish man, Joseph. And in fact, she was in that season of her relationship with him where she was preparing for her wedding day. She expected that once she was married, she would have children, this was actually a very common desire of, the, uh, of, of young Jewish women, to, to one day have children of their own. Uh, the, 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 uh, the psalmist speaks of children being a heritage to the Lord. In biblical times, couples within Israel, they, they took God's commandment in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply very seriously. And in fact, uh, it, it, was, it was seen as the, the main goal of marriage, to have children of their own. But Mary wasn't there yet. Mary wasn't there with her expectations. She was still in that place where her expectation was on her wedding day, 
I'm preparing to be married to Joseph. And, and then, once that was done, then she would build a, a, a family with Joseph. It's almost like saying, hey, God, that's great. I'd love, I'd love to, to bear your child, but, but you know, first let me get married first. Let me, let me take care of what, what I believe is better, a better plan. How could God do this to her? Uh, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This, this is not the way things are supposed to work out. But if we were to actually, if we could look into Mary's mind, if we could think of the way she was thinking, I think more accurately, and if we were honest with ourselves, it's not so much that this isn't the way that things are supposed to be. More accurately, it's this isn't the way that Mary expected it to be. See, Mary's at a bit of a fork in the road right now. She, she's kind of in, standing at this fork in the road. To the left is the future that she had planned out. Uh, a future w- with a, a happy marriage to Joseph, lots of little kids, nice little stone fence around her yard, little American dream or, or, or Jewish dream, Israelite dream. To the right is the greatest privilege a young woman in, in all of Israel could ever have, to bear the Son of God, to carry in her womb God himself, we too face forks in the road. It's that moment when, when you lose a job you've had for so long and expected to quietly retire from. It's that moment where you or a loved one is diagnosed with a life-altering or, or a life-ending illness. It's that moment when the doctor comes into the, the room and, and tells you that you and your spouse cannot have children of your own. It's that moment that, that we're faced with a choice to, to satisfy the desires of our, ourselves or to honor God and, and to, to, to say no to our own, own selfish desires and say yes to him. These are the moments when the road in front of you diverges. It, it, it splits, it divides, and, and you realize that maybe the path that you had expected and worked so hard to live toward, to build up, was not the same path that God had planned out for you. It's that moment when you realize that you and God have different plans for your life and for your future, and so you, should, uh, you, you need to decide whether you will bulldoze forward with your own plan or surrender into God's pathway and trust that, that he actually knows what's the very best for you, that you can trust that he is a loving Heavenly Father, the one who deeply loves you. See, submission is a word that either gives us agita, or when we talk about it, we talk about it in a simple way. But submission isn't so easy. Listen to how Mary responds. She makes it sound easy, actually, I think. She says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary says, okay, God, not my will, but your will be done. She submits in a way, almost like a bookend to the gospel, right? I mean, fast forward to Jesus when he's, when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he submits to the Father's will as well. Mary here says, okay, God, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to lay down my own expectations. I'm going to stop trying to make my plan work. I'm going to trust your plan and follow you in faith. I think that this is, is the critical juncture here for us with a human heart. It, it, it's the crux of the human heart. Since the Garden of Eden, we have wrestled with God as to who actually gets to be God. Adam and Eve did it when they chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
When they said, you know what, God, we know you got, we've got this whole garden here for us, lots of peace, lots of food, everything we ever need. But you know what? Maybe Satan's got a point. Maybe you're holding back from us. Maybe we can't trust you. Adam and Eve did it. They went left and they chose their own future rather than God's. And if you've read it all beyond the first few chapters of Genesis, you kind of have an idea of where that landed for them, where that, where that led them. The people of Israel did it. Just look at their life uh, in, the, in the book of Judges. I, I actually, I, I love this, this verse at the very end of Judges because I feel like it depicts uh, the heart of the Israelites, but not just the Israelites, and it depicts it very well. Listen to what is recorded in Judges chapter 21, verse 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I mean, if you could, if you could picture a, uh, those choose-your-own-adventure books in real life, this is what it would look like. Everyone going in every which way. There was, no, there was no direct path. There was no clear understanding of what's in front of us. There was no God who, as, a, as, a, as Solomon writes in Proverbs, there was no one that watches over the pathway of man. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I mean, the Israelites, they, they, they had example after example after example of why they could trust God, and yet they did what was right in their own eyes. Well, guess what? We're no different. I mean, it's easy for us to kind of look at the Israelites and, and judge them for, for their foolishness and their faithlessness. But you and I, we're no different. These are the same things that we wrestle with. We're happy to say yes to God until it interferes with our plans. We're most comfortable when we believe that, that we have control over our future, that, that, that we get to craft our own expectations and, and, and pursue them, and that God's just going to rubber stamp it and say, okay, Dan, I know you love me, so I'll let you do that. So I think one of the biggest lies of Satan that we have believed is that pursuing the American dream will make us happy. That if we've got a, a, what seems to be an, a beautiful marriage, when we've got a beautiful home, we've got you know, a, a home filled with kids, that, that our hearts will be satisfied. But that's just not true. Here's the thing. We weren't created for that. We, we weren't created to, to live out our days building up this treasure and then go home and be with the Lord. We were created to be in a relationship with him the one who created us and who loves us and who alone can satisfy those desires of our hearts. We were created to live for eternity in the peace found in the Garden of Eden. And you know what? Only when we come back to a relationship with Jesus through submission and trusting ourselves to him, trusting that he is the God of all creation and that we can trust him, ourselves to him, only then will we find our way back to his pathway. So as we look at Mary's situation, it's easy to stand on this side of her decision and, and, and say, go for it, Mary. You get to be the mother of God. What a privilege that would be. But submission is anything but easy. After Mary made that decision, she committed herself to it daily, even as the surprises of what that meant the, the, for, her, for her own pathway Unfolded. Even as she realized the contours of the roadway in front of her, she still committed to that decision to trust God, to submit herself to his plan. 
Think, think about this for a moment. What did Mary know at this point in the story? Gabriel told her that she would bear a child. He would be the son of the Most High. What a privilege. I mean, that, that's incredible. She knew that there would be no one else that would do that. She also probably assumed that there would be a little bit of scrutiny about her life. Here's this young Jewish woman who is now pregnant, and it wasn't by Joseph. So she probably figured she would face some scrutiny. But here's the thing. Did Mary know that when Jesus was 12 years old, that she'd be traveling in a caravan back to their home, and two days into the trip say, hmm, has anyone seen Jesus? Like, as a parent, if you can't find your child, well, nowadays, if you can't find your child after half an hour, you either think they're doing something very bad, or there's something very bad that's happened to them, right? And it fills you with fear. When, when Mary said yes to God's plan, did she know that she would be raising a child who, who, who submitted to a, an authority that was higher than her or Joseph? Or, or this, did, did Mary know that, that there would be a day when, when her son Jesus, as he grew up, would be ministering to the crowds, teaching the crowds, and when she came to him, he would turn her away when they, so it happened when he was teaching and some people came, hey, your mother's looking for you. And he says, these are my mothers and my brothers, anyone who does the will of my father. I mean, I think as a mother, that would sting a little bit, right? So wait, 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 I gave birth to you. I was the one that was up in the middle of the night with you feeding you. I was the one that took care of you when you were young. How can you say that all these people are your mothers and brothers? Did Mary say yes to that? Did she know what she was saying yes to when she submitted to God's plan? I don't think so. Did Mary know that there would be a day when she would be, when, when she said yes to God, did, did Mary know that there would be a day where she would stand at the foot of a Roman cross and have to stand there and watch her son slowly die as he hung on a cross, beaten, ridiculed? Was she, did she say yes? Was she saying yes to that? Well, I mean, yes, she was. When, when Mary submitted to that, she was submitting to everything, not knowing the details, the contours of the road that she had submitted to. Mary submitted to God. She said yes to God because she knew his plans were trustworthy. She knew she could entrust herself to God. She knew that, that his plans were for her good and not for her harm. And so she said yes to God. Submission is not so easy. Many of you know that um, two years ago, my sister was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor. And it's one of those, it's a fast-growing, uh, aggressive brain tumor, one that, that they have yet to find a cure for. And so um, you can imagine our family went through a bit of, uh, of wrestling with this and kind of wondering, God, what are you doing? What is, how does this fit into your plan for our lives, for my sister's life, for my brother-in-law, for my parents? Shortly after she was diagnosed, my dad was, was wrestling with that very question uh, with a, a dear, trusted friend. And this friend uh, posed a question to him. He said, Al, if, if God came to you 38 years ago and said, I have, I have this eternal being, and, and Al, I'm going to entrust this eternal being to you. I want you to care for her. I want you to guide her. I want you to show her my love over those 38 years. And I'll tell you what, at the end of those 38 years, I'm going to take her back to be with me. I'm going to take her home. Would you accept that responsibility? Now, when, my, when this gentleman posed that question to my dad, my dad, of course, said yes. 
you know, on the, on the surface level of things, I would do it time and time again to have these 38 years with my daughter, he said. But even more so, my dad said he would say yes for the blessing of knowing, of not, of not just knowing, like I know this with my mind, but this faith-filled certainty that it was God who would be leading my sister into eternity with him. That, that God was in control, that this was God's plan, not his own. That God actually loved my sister more than my dad did, and that God was in control of her life. Now, see, we don't say yes to God's invitation to follow his plan because we think that somehow it's going to be a pathway of rainbows and sunshine. We say yes to his plan because we choose his outcome, his future, over our own. We get to that place where we realize God's plan is far better than mine ever could be in both the short term and the long term. And so as we wait for God to bring about his outcomes in our lives, we've had the privilege as a family of watching my sister and my brother-in-law and my parents go through this. And I'll tell you what, I've had the privilege of seeing God's love for them, his grace for them in moments where they've needed it, his provisions when they needed it, God has shown himself to be trustworthy as they've walked through this dark valley. See, I think this is how God prepares the way for Jesus' return through you and I as we submit our lives to him. Because as we do, as we submit our lives to him and let him work in us and through us, we let the world around us see God's faithfulness at work in our lives. We let the world around us see that as someone puts their trust in God, and leans on him, depends on him, looks to him through both the good times and the bad, they see a God who is gracious, loving, forgiving, and trustworthy. So when God comes to us and invites us to follow him in faith, we don't necessarily know the shape of the road that he's going to lead us down. We don't know where he'll lead us to or, or, or even what things will look like at the very end of that road. But we do know, we do know the outcome. We do know where he's leading us to. God's promised outcome is a return to the peace of the Garden of Eden, the garden that we were created for. John records this depiction of the future in Revelation 21. Let me just read a few verses for us. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. See, this is our future. This is, this is the outcome toward which we live. This is what our hope is rooted in. That God knows better about what our future is than we could ever imagine. That the decisions we make today can only be made as we depend on him, as we look to him, as we submit ourselves under his authority, under his power in our lives. This is our future. But if we could just for a moment, let's come back to today. Like Mary, we each stand at a fork in the road, and we need to decide if we can say like her, 
I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Each person has to decide if they too can submit to God and his plan the way that Mary did. This is a daily decision we make. Yeah, it's a decision we make in faith as we, as we accept the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ and through his death on the cross. But it's also a daily decision we make. When we wake up each day and we decide, am I going to live for Dan or am I going to live for the Lord? And so as followers of Jesus and as his servants, I want to encourage us to, to consider making this decision each day to submit to him in obedience and trust. Because you know what? As servant leaders, when we say yes to God, when, when we exercise our faith and entrust ourselves to him, when we, when we submit ourselves to his plan for our lives, he accomplishes his promises and his plans through us. What an awesome privilege that is. We get to be in the front row. We get a front row seat of seeing God's work in this world, working out his plans for this world. And you know what? Our world needs to see this. Our world needs to know that God is trustworthy. Our world needs to know that, that, that only God is trustworthy. And that if they see God's people trusting God and saying, as Mary did, that, 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 that we are servants of the Lord, may it be to us according to your word, that when the world sees that, they're going to see the love of God, the grace of God, the provisions of God, the grace of God, the power of God. We are going to be like walking billboards proclaiming the gospel of God's love and grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's how God will use us as we submit ourselves to him. So this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different as we close our time together in God's word. I want to invite you to say this with me. We are servants of the Lord. Let it be to us according to your word. One more time. Let's say it one more time together. We are servants of the Lord. Let it be to us according to your word. May that be not just the prayer of your heart, but the deep conviction and desire of your heart as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we have examples in the faith like Mary. That we have these 12 or 13 year old women, 12 or 13 year old young women, Lord, who have exercised their faith, who have trusted you as being trustworthy. And Lord, they've, they've said that not just with their, their lips, but they believed in their hearts that you are Lord. And so they along with others, submit themselves to you. And we thank you for Mary, for the example of her life. Lord, I pray for that to be true of us, that we too would be able to, to realize it's not, you're not looking for perfection to show the perfect example. You're looking for us to submit ourselves to you. And you will use that, Lord, to, to accomplish all your promises and plans. Lord, may we be here at Trinity willing participants in the work of your hands, Lord. May others look at us and see your faithfulness, see your power. 
May they look at us and, and see not a, a people who are angry at God because our plans are not working out the way we had anticipated, but people who are walking in the joy of entrusting ourselves to your purposes and your plans. Lord, may that be the freedom we experience together today and always. Father, we thank you for your word. We just pray that this would continue to, your word would continue to do a work in our hearts and minds. Transform us as your people from the inside out. Help us to submit to you today and always. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.